and welcome to a special edition of our show, Herstory on the Box, with Katie and Allie. Typically, be Allie and I hanging out, talking about famous women in history with cocktails. <laughs> but sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing about famous women in history. Or famous fictional women yeah, in famous history. <laughs> <laughs> we have a very special guest here with us today, Sophie Keach. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Sophie is a Welsh writer who studied Thurian literature <laughs> um, at Cardiff University, and she's here with us today to talk about her new book, Morgan Is My Name, a retelling of Morgan Le Fay's story. So we're really excited to have you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, you covered most of it. I'm a writer <laughs> who lives in Wales. Um, Morgan Is My Name is my debut novel. It's the first in a trilogy. So this one takes in the early life of Morgan Le Fay, of Arthurian legend, who is a famous villainess. And yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So like we do with every episode, we like, we have a cocktail that we made for your book. Um, so this is obviously called Morgan is my name. Um, so you muddle a few blackberries and rosemary in the bottom of the cocktail shaker. And then you add two ounces of gin, an ounce of peach liqueur, and a little bit of vanilla extract. And you shake well and you strain into a glass and it's purple. <laughs> Wow, that looks very magical. <laughs> I also wanted to be kind of stormy because she mm-hmm. is stormborn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she is. Mm, delightful. <laughs> so we did mm. on our show, we cover both fictional and non-fictional women. And we did an episode a couple years ago on Guinevere. And of course, Morgan Le Fay came up in that story quite a bit, but we've never done anything specifically on her. So can you... Set the scene for us for this book. Who is Morgan Le Fay as a character? And what would life have been like for women during, like, the time of King Arthur? Okay, well, Morgan Le Fay, within Arthurian legend, is the famous villainess. She's an antagonist of King Arthur. She's a sorceress who learns from Merlin, but is also his adversary. And that's what we famously know her for, is as the bad girl of Arthurian legend, who's always out to get King Arthur and Guinevere. Um, she didn't quite start out there in the much earlier legend. She was a benign figure, not necessarily related to King Arthur. She was more of a fairy goddess. Um, she tends to be a healer in in most ways. Um, but yeah, she was a fairy goddess or a queen of Avalon who was a more distant figure, more like the Lady of the Lake. But as she was written and rewritten, she got more involvement with the Arthurian tales. But as she got more involved, her role was changed to become more villainous. Mm. And Morgan is My Name was sort of taking the idea of her as as a person with the things that happened to her within the the mythology and to explore her character to see if it really was that simple because I felt that as she got rewritten in terms of men that maybe it it wasn't so straightforward that she was a villain and I sort of thought well if all these things had happened to me in life I would be pretty furious as well and and, you know she made a lot of sense that some of the things she was doing didn't seem to be so truly evil um in terms of 
what her life would have looked like. I'm interacting with the mythology. So rather than she's not, as far as I know, a historical figure, there's a lot of debate about King Arthur, but as Morgan Le Fay is part of mythology. So I'm dealing with the mythological tradition more than anything else. I've situated the book in a sort of high medieval time period, which is sort of familiar, the chivalric era, which is familiar for Arthurian legend, uh, rather than sort of post-Roman Britain. I've done it, I've done it in the way of the time when the stories were told as we famously have felt it and pre-Raphaelite paintings I always refer to. So it's that kind of, that's where I found my interest in Arthurian legend was that high medieval chivalric era type of type of look so yeah that's what her what her life would have looked like Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) I know it's hard to say because she's a it is hard to say (laughs) (laughs) and people people interpret it many different ways and that's what I find so great about the legend is that it's it's broad. There's lots of sources, and you can sort of take what you want and explore things through many lenses, and, and that's one of one of the greatest things about it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, Merlin is a big part of this story. He's a big part of the Arthurian legends. He's um, kind of just into the commonplace, you know, lexicon now. You know, I feel bad. I've never heard of Morgan Le Fay, even though we obviously did an episode where she was featured <laughs> prominently, and I did not Goodness remember that. <laughs> <laughs> So sorry. Um, but can you talk a little bit about her and Merlin's relationship? Because in this story, it's like, you know, he murders her father, and, you know, it's a little dense, but obviously in some cases, like, they have kind of a mentor-mentee relationship, so can you talk a little bit about their relationship? I did not change Arthurian legend to tell the story of how Merlin helped Arthur's father do what he did. That's, mm-hmm. That is, in most of the source material, that is what happened. Mm-hmm. But the difference tends to be that when that story is told, we see it through this lens of Arthur's birth had to happen and this was the way it had to happen. And it sort of gets glossed over in terms of how that was done. So, but I couldn't look away from that. Mm -hmm. I couldn't take the situation where Merlin changes the appearance of Uther Pendragon so he can he can go and sleep with Morgan's mother. I couldn't see that in any other way than just the assertion of men and power over women just because it's what they want or what a prophecy says. So I, I just told that like it was. But where it sort of maybe changed our perception was because I was telling it through... Morgan's eyes because it did involve her mother and her father and I made well she I made her a child and dealing with that and so yeah it it was it's it's hard to see that in in a positive light Mm -hmm. but something by the end of the book does good does come out of it in that she meets Arthur and they have a bond uh and you know, that's something, but it, it haunts her her whole life because, of course, Arthur and Merlin are mentor-mentee and 
yeah, so the idea of Merlin does haunt her. Mm-hmm. Um, even though she's discovering powers and she loves learning, she can. she's also got a temper. She's got a fury within her, which is all the way through Arthurian legend, which I tapped into, um, which to me, that would mean she would never forget what he's done. Mm-hmm. And within in within the this book, um, she sort of goes through that process of dealing from where she began to where she ends with Merlin. But as the story goes on, I'm writing the second book now. In Arthurian legend, she was known to have been taught by him. So they did have a more. They had a sort of yeah teacher pupil. Um, and, and the story goes that he taught her all of the things and then she used them for bad. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's very hard to say when you actually look at it in terms of what they're doing, who's working for good and working for bad. It, to me, it always feels like such a gray area. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just in the way it's written through the point of view of how it was written back in 12th century Maori, whatever source you're using. Um, it obviously had to be put through a moral lens. And that's the moral lens they chose that Merlin working for Arthur. So everything he did was justified. Morgan working against Arthur. So her type of magic was not justified. But the fact that Merlin taught it to her was always very interesting to me because if he did, how is he fine and, and she not fine? But I suppose the argument is, is what you're doing with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that you're talking about point of view because a lot of um, original Arthur mythology would have been written by men through the lens of men, right? Arthur and his dad and Merlin. And you're kind of flipping this story on its head and taking this character that's almost two-dimensional, right? She's vindictive. She's kind of angry. She's the bad guy, the antagonist, as you said. Why do you think it's important for us to go back and tell these same stories through a woman's point of view? Well, of course it's important because it just is, but also it's just interesting because in so many ways, the Morgan and the women are crucial to what happens and and this is true of so many stories where the women's role is made too simple or pushed aside Mm -hmm. but yeah so many things could not happen without them I mean maybe in Morgan's case that would be for the better (laughs) if you would if you would ask them but she she's still important she's still integral even in the early part of her and Arthur's story, they are friends, they are allies, they're close. And if you think of what happens at the end of Arthurian legend, King Arthur literally cannot return when Britain needs him after his death if she doesn't heal him. So she takes him to Avalon to be healed and, and she is going to do that. So how would you, you can't have, you can't, his legend doesn't live on without the work she's going to put in. Mm-hmm. And so it's it shouldn't be that easy to push them push them aside. None of the women. But, I mean, even if you think of the Lady of the Lake, 
Um, she's a good coded figure, but also she's sort of Merlin's temptress. She's the person who kills Merlin. She's, but even though she works for Arthur, um, not against him, but she do- doesn't only really work for him, but she saves him in so many ways. <laughs> but, and yet it's always the, the stories that are always sort of refined and told are, oh, it's Arthur and Merlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morgan's the baddie. And yeah, so it gets forgotten about. And I think it's it's really important and, and like I said, interesting mm-hmm. to kind of just look down that, that lens of these characters who were essential, are essential, but just to see what they think of it all. That's what's mm-hmm. been the most fun with writing Morgan is that just to put this world in front of her, um, fill in some of the gaps where I feel like her character could have been built, put the events in front of her and just see what she thinks of it. And and it's really been brilliant to look at a mythology that I know so well and love mm-hmm. and look at it purely through that lens. It's It's very, it's so enlightening. Even though it's me doing it, it's, <laughs> it's making it rounded. It's making it, I'm understanding it so even better again because of it. Mm-hmm. And you said earlier that like a lot of stories that were written in this time had to have this kind of like moral clause to them. And I'm curious, what was the original purpose of kind of making Morgan out to be this bad character? Was it you know, a a lesson on the dangers of educating women? Like, should Merlin not have (laughs) taught her as much magic? Like, what was the original intended kind of meaning of her story? I think that's probably a lot of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe that's why she didn't start there. And as time went on, that's where it went, because she was learned and new things and wanted to know more things and she was ambitious mm-hmm. um and, and capable and perhaps perhaps it was okay if she was sort of another worldly creature a fairy on an island benignly helping but when she became rooted in the human world and she kept seeking knowledge and she kept sort of seeing what she could do with it perhaps that was inherently threatening because um I'm not so much the historian on this but perhaps you know women could be in nunneries and be educated and she was for a while but she she wasn't she was sort of walking around and making schemes and and perhaps that could be no other other way than threatening mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you, uh, this is like a mythology, you know, so well and that you love. What kind of research did you have to put in to do these books? Did you go back and, you know, read through different versions of this character? Yes, I I did. I mean, since studying it in university as part of my English degree, um, Arthurian literature, it really just got me into it very deeply so for years anyway I was in completely nerdy fashion reading Arthurian legend and the medieval texts and all the different versions just kind of for fun and because I loved it way way for years before I I ever thought of writing 
um, an Arthurian retelling. So I already had a grounding and I enjoyed it. Um, but specifically to start this book, when I got the, well, it was reading one of, one of the texts that gave me the idea to write the book. So I was already doing that. But I did. I, I read everything I could about her from as many primary sources as I could um, because to get a, a read on how her character was written. And it it was, yeah, she's she was even more surprising than I remembered mm-hmm. because some of the sources I used were in-depth about character. And they gave her personality traits and some some sources are better than others for this. And there was a lot that I could use to start building a picture of this this person, which, like I said, when when there are gaps to fill, that's what where you take the character is where where she is and who she is and what might happen. Um and yeah, I, I learned a lot of the events in her her life which we didn't study because so much of these things get glossed over and you're not learning about her really when when you're studying Arthurian legends it's all about what's Arthur doing what's Lancelot doing you know what's Merlin doing um so that's where I started to pick up on the nuanced events in her life which were glossed over in the text but I thought "Mm, yeah you know I had a husband and he was behaving like that I would be furious <laughs> why wouldn't she if she's already a furious person and she's bright and she's got a an issue with this kind of thing of course she might you know react to that and so yeah a lot of research a lot of reading until continual reading on that and then I I fill in the gaps with sort of um historical research then to to build the world during the time period and I mean I love that anyway but um you need to go outside the text for that because the texts are contemporary to the mm-hmm. when they're being written so you need to fill in the details mm-hmm. um but yes a lot of research a lot of texts um a lot of learning and relearning I'm constantly rereading them mm-hmm. for fun but also because to refresh, to re-remember, and and yeah, never stop reading. Yeah, it's a good lesson. <laughs> it's a good <laughs> lesson. <laughs> um, so, a prominent location in the story is a uh, Tintagel. Is that how you say it? Tintagel. Tintagel. Not right. <laughs> Tintagel. <laughs> now, I believe this is in Wales because this is a Welsh story. Um, and no, oh, it's not. Oh my it's, gosh, it's in Cornwall. <laughs> I got all of that wrong. I'm Welsh. I'm Welsh. Morgan is Cornish. Oh, I thought, okay. She's Cornish. I'm so sorry. She's technically in England, but the Cornish don't necessarily feel that way because for a long time in history, it was its own country. Oh, okay. Perfect. So, you know, I was down there the other day and, you know, the Cornish people were very much like, we're Cornish. Yeah. (laughs) I said, yes, I'm Welsh. I get it. You're Cornish. Perfect. Well, I've offended everyone in Cornwall. Um, So... (laughs) But what I wanted to know is that Tintagel is is Tintagel is a real place. So did you go there a lot when you were writing the book? And are there other places 
in this area that could be kind of um, like landmarks for people who maybe wanted to kind of see areas of your story, even though it's fiction? Yeah, I had, I had been there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was due to go back. Um, I had already written sort of a chunk of the book and I was like, like, let's go to Tintagel and walk it. And then COVID happened. So I didn't end up managing to go back there until, well, back there again until this May just gone, which was amazing. So obviously the book is done. I have been there, had it in my head. I had to look at a lot of photos <laughs> um, to sort of refresh that. But yeah, Arthurian legend is really interesting in that a lot of the locations are otherwise named and a lot of the locations are true to life. And Cornwall is pretty good for that. I mean, when you're down there, if you Google a list of places in Cornwall that apply to Arthurian legend, it's a lot. (laughs) Some of them say, oh, this is the lady of the lakes lake and there'll be 10 lakes all claiming (laughs) I know in Wales there are however many lady of the lakes like there are there are a lot of lady of the lakes there's more than one in Arthurian legend so that might be okay um but they claim to have Camelot in several places um but Tintagel yes I think I mentioned Castle Door which is in Cornwall which I think now is a sort of just a ruin but it was there so there are a lot of castle locations which are relevant to uh to Arthurian legend um for the other locations Tintagel was the main one who a country mentioned which is Gore where she goes north later on in the book is not a real place mm. um there are different places they say it's situated, such as the Isle of Man, things like that. Um, there's scholarship about this, um, but I base that on sort of York, Yorkshire geography, the moors and the, you know, dramatic mountains and things. But obviously her sister gets married to a lot of Orkney and Lothian they are real Orkney's a real place and Lothian it's slightly different now it's East Lothian and all sorts in Scotland but it's Scotland and Orkney so yeah those those would be the places but if anybody if you go to Cornwall there are a lot of Arthurian places there (laughs) brilliant It's, it's beautiful and I recommend it and Tintagel especially is just it's incredible it's it's a mystical place (laughs) i can see why the legend got situated there because it is such a mystical place Mm. um it's just it's so worth going um i don't know whether you'll love this or not (laughs) but so growing up obviously and knowing the king arthur stories and then being of like prime age for harry potter stories my siblings and i have played this game for years called united kingdoms or magic where we like throw out a word like Patronus and you have to say whether it's real or not. So this could be something we now do with Arthur. Oh, I love that idea. <laughs> Cornwall. You're not real. That's real. That's real. That's a place. Cornwall is real. Yeah. King's Cross Station. Yeah. Real. <laughs> um, 
Oh, it's a good mixing. I love yeah. I love the idea that it's just interwoven yeah. into like the fabric of the area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Too. And we have so much of it in Wales because the earliest mentions of King Arthur are from Welsh mythology. And it's just, it's through our landscape here as well. So, um, yeah, I love that. It's brilliant. There's, there's always this connection with the land. And this is why it, in Morgan is my name. I wanted to write about the geography and how that connected with the character of Cornwall and Tintagel. And it's part of her because that's how the mythology feels to me, is that it's just written through where I'm from, Cornwall, the whole of Britain. And, and yeah, so it's, it's yeah. a big part of it. Perfect. Well, we're so excited for people to go out and get this book and learn about Morgan and just, I don't know, learn more about her story. It's so great. Uh, it released on June 13th, I believe, correct? So it's it already ready to out. Go. Ready, ready to go. go. <laughs> so can you tell our listeners where they can find this book and where they can find you? Because we're obviously going to get two more books in this series. So people want to stay in tune with you. <laughs> well, Morgan is my name is published by Penguin Random House Canada um, and it's in Canada and the US it should be everywhere that you can get books now pretty much um, she's doing brilliantly and and yeah so people say everywhere you can buy books or where <laughs> books are sold is that the phrase where books yes, are sold yeah. um, and me you can find on Twitter at Soph K writes or on Instagram at Sophie Keach author. And, um, that's where also the book is on audible. Oh, perfect. So that Favorite is place? everywhere yeah. on audible. Yeah. That's where, that's where she began. She was out on their thirst. Um, so yeah, you can find her there. Vanessa Kirby from, from the crown is reading it and she's just perfect. It's fantastic. So that's well worth listening to. Um, and yeah, for so for any upcoming news on the next two books and whatever I decide to do next, whether it be Arthurian related or or what, um, that's that's where I'm hanging out. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Thank well, you so much. Yes, this thank was you a blast. For Thank you. That was really nice. <laughs> <laughs>